Welcome to the Pathlight Ministries podcast. We're glad you've chosen to study God's Word with us. I'm Pastor Chip Anthony, and here's today's message. This week, we had some storms come through Texarkana. Um, did any of you, did any of y'all, you all lose a whole tree? Anybody lose a whole tree this week? In my neighborhood, there were a lot of trees down pretty much all over the place. We had a lot of, uh, quite a few trees down and uh, a lot, I mean hundreds, maybe thousands of branches. And so, um, by way of a public service announcement this morning and a way of also um, connecting with our uh, series this month, um, I want us to uh, review some photos of diseased trees. This is uh, diseased roots of a tree. If you look at those, you see the soil has moved all away from them and the, the bark is falling off and there's a lot of discoloration on them. Uh, this is a diseased trunk. You see that something has, has grown and eaten into the trunk of this tree. It's split in two and the bark's gone and it's just all hollow inside. You, you don't want to see that on your trees in your yard, especially if they're near your house. You have something like that, you want to call somebody to chop it up for you. All right, um, then these are diseased branches. You can see that there's, there's something growing on the branches. There's some sort of fungus growing on the branches or something, and it's, it's going to cause the tree some pretty substantial problems. And then and these are, are leaves with, with little disease growing on them. That's not the way a leaf should look, nor the way a leaf should change its color. And then lastly, these are, are fruit that hopefully if you picked that off of a tree, you would not eat it. Uh, my children, are, they're not picky about their fruit. It can have stuff growing on it. That it can be just the stems. They'll eat anything that's a fruit. Um, but hopefully, you, know, you all know. And so if you see these sorts of signs on your tree, you, you, there's, you've got some problems with your tree. And there's going to be a storm that's going to come along. And that storm is going to knock your tree down. And it may knock it into your house. It may knock it into a neighbor's house. But if, if you have disease like this on your tree... Some storm is going to come along and it's going to knock your tree down. Uh, unfortunately, fortunately for us, we can see the signs of tree disease. Right? We can see what a rotten tree looks like pretty easily. Unfortunately for us, our spiritual condition is not as easy to see as a tree. Right? The status or the state of our heart, our spirit, is not as easy for us to see as it is for us to see a rotten fruit or a rotten branch, or a hollow tree. That's easy for us to see. But to see the condition of our own hearts is sometimes incredibly difficult. A lot of times, in fact, we'll have an easier time seeing the condition of someone else's heart than we have of seeing our own heart. This morning, we're continuing our our discussion of the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to read this. In fact, if you will, read Galatians 5, 22, 23 with me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Is anybody ready to go blindfolds and do it? Anybody? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Was I the only one covering my eyes? You can be honest with me. Okay, I was. All right. Um, but I, I think it's, these are important. I hope that you will, um, if, if, you know, even if you don't want to, that you'll have to memorize them just because you've heard me say them so many times. We've covered a lot of these. Today we're going to cover goodness. Um, and so we're going to talk about goodness. And as we talk about goodness, um, we're going to look at another passage of Scripture uh, that 
I think gives us a really clear picture about what goodness in people looks like. We're going to look at Luke chapter 6, verses 42 through 43. I'm going to turn this so it's... There we go. Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45 say this. They say, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So this is Jesus, and he's, he's, uh, he's making a very long sermon. This is right in the middle of a, a really long sermon. And in, in the midst of this, he, he takes a, side, a moment to describe what a good person is like. A good person is like a good tree, and it produces good fruit. Right? You don't get bad fruit from a good tree. If you got bad fruit from a tree that you thought was good, if you saw that bad fruit, you'd say, wait a minute, there's something wrong with this tree. Because bad fruit doesn't come from a good tree. So if you saw bad fruit, that would be a clear indication that there's something wrong. You need to do something for the health of that tree. In the same way, we produce good fruit or we produce bad fruit. But whether we produce bad fruit or good fruit isn't determined by the fruit. It's determined by the tree. There's something in the DNA of a tree that produces the fruit that it makes. And there's something inside of us that determines whether our fruit is good or our fruit is bad. And that something is the Spirit of God living and active inside of us. If the Spirit of God is alive and active inside of us, we will produce good fruit if we are good. And, and I think that one of the things that's really um, interesting to me is that Jesus could have described uh, probably a thousand different ways that you can do good or you can do evil. Right? Because and when we think of you know, evil in this world, there are a lot of things that come to mind. Right? There are a lot of things. In fact, we need no, do nothing else than to turn on the news each night, and we see evil. Right? We see it on a, on a regular basis. In fact, you don't even have to watch the national news. You can watch local news, and you can see evil. Right? You see people being horrible to each other. You see man's inhumanity to fellow, their fellow men. You see them doing all sorts of horrible actions to each other. But Jesus doesn't talk about any of those actions. He doesn't talk about murder. He doesn't talk about stealing. He doesn't talk about anything that we would consider as you know, newsworthy. He's, this last thing, he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Right? He, he could have chosen any sort of action, but instead of talking about actions, Jesus brings the condition of our hearts back to our words, back to the things that we say. And I think that that's very clearly connected to us, isn't it? It's very clearly connected to our condition by the way we talk. Now, um, it is sometimes difficult. In fact, when I counsel people, um, you know, doing premarital counseling or marital counseling, um, when I counsel people, one of the questions that I'll ask is, tell me about the condition of your heart. And when I ask someone that, they look at me sort of like you are looking at me now, right? Um, what is that that's expression? Like a calf looking at a, at a new gate? Is that it? Like a calf looking at it. That's, that's a new one for me. Like a calf looking at a new gate. Just what? Right? Because we don't think about the condition of our hearts nearly enough. Even though if you read through the Bible, if you read the wisdom of, of Solomon, that he writes this above all else. Guard your heart. So we have to know the condition of our hearts. We don't. 
It's difficult for us to know the condition of our hearts. And so this morning, you should have in front of you a, a sheet of paper that has a tree on it. Oh, thank you. has a tree on it, and this is our Highland Hills Goodness Assessment. Sounds very official, doesn't it? A goodness assessment. And so what I want to do with you this morning is I want us to go, um, like many good things, I want to go from the bottom to the top. And I want us to talk about the condition of your heart. And I'm going to talk, think about the condition of my heart as well. As, as we were developing the Highland Hills goodness assessment, that really does sound official. Um, as we were developing this, uh, this tool, um, we started thinking, what is, it, what is it that is really at the root of our spiritual lives? And we said that, that the root of our spiritual lives is, is our connection to the Father. Whether it be through salvation, through our, our daily prayer time, that the roots of our spiritual life and, our, and, and thereby our goodness, that our goodness comes from being connected to the Father. And so Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 12, it says this, when Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul's saying, you, know, you don't, don't take the, the salvation that you have in, in, uh, for granted. Let me, make, let me say this before we get into this. There's one thing that I, I probably should have said before now. Um, a lot of times in English, we will talk about goodness and we'll talk about righteousness and we kind of use them in the same way. That you will say that somebody is righteous or that somebody is good. And, and they, kind of, they kind of lose their meaning in the way that we use them. But when the Bible talks about righteousness and talks about goodness, those are two separate entities. All right? And it, we don't really do that as much. But think about it this way. That we do sometimes talk about things being right and th- being good as being separate things. For instance, if, if I were to give you a test and said, um, what is home? You would say, home is a place where a family lives. Like if you were taking an IQ test and, and it said, what is home? You know, define home. You'd say, home is a place where a family lives. That, that would be a, a right answer. That would be right. Now, if you were taking that same IQ test and you said, home, it, home smells like pine cones. And it sounds like my nieces and nephews laughing. And it feels like the warmth of a fire burning in the fireplace. Now, and on an IQ test, you probably get that wrong. Because that's not a right answer, but that's a really good answer. In fact, with that answer, it, it takes you beyond just what's right. It takes you to you know, a really good description of, of home, right? So sometimes what's right and what's good aren't the exact same thing. When the Bible talks about righteousness, they mean the right answer, that you are justified. In fact, righteousness isn't a statement about how, so much about how good someone is, but it's an issue of legal standing. That someone who is righteous has been found not guilty. Right? That they are not guilty of breaking the law. They're not guilty. That they have fulfilled everything that is required of them. Now, you who are parents, right? sometimes your children will, will try, to, try to pretend that righteousness is goodness. You'll ask them to do something and they will do just enough. Right? I, want, I want this room clean. What does that mean, Mom? What do, you, what do you mean wanting this room clean? I want everything up off of this floor. And you go back 10 minutes later and it's all on the bed. Right? <laughs> yes, they have obeyed. They've gotten everything off of the floor. So that could be considered a righteous act. But is it a good act? No. no. It's not a good act. To be good would have been to have actually cleaned the room. To have gone above and beyond. To be really good would have been to have cleaned their room and then to have gone and cleaned your room. Right? That, that's goodness. 
Righteousness is this legal standing. Now, when it comes to our righteousness as believers, that has been taken care of. We have nothing to do with our righteousness. That was settled on the cross. That Jesus settled our righteousness. And like the song said, that God looks on him and pardons me. That God, when he, when he looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He sees Jesus' righteousness because it's been given to me. And that on the cross, that God looked at Christ and he saw my sin. There was this great exchange that I got the much better part of. And so my righteousness is established. My goodness is not, is not as quickly established. That when I became a Christian, I didn't immediately become as good as Jesus. Not even close. I became righteous because that's my legal standing, but that didn't make me good. In fact, some of you have probably had an encounter with someone who is a Christian, and you've thought, that person is rotten. Right? Have you ever had that? Like, you'll, you'll meet somebody, and you'll say, oh, I know they're a Christian because they, they, I mean, they say they're a Christian. Maybe they're a member of this church and good saying. But, man, that guy, the way he does business, the way he conducts himself, maybe the way he talks to his kids, the way he treats his wife, maybe the way he keeps his yard. I don't know how, you know, how fine a line y'all put on that. But that guy's rotten, right? He's righteous, but he's not very good. When it comes to goodness, goodness isn't just an instant work of salvation. Righteousness is. Goodness is something that requires some effort. It requires some work on our part. And so that's why we're doing this assessment today, because we really want to be able to look at our hearts. And so starting at the root, starting at this idea of working out salvation and fear and trembling, um, the question is, what does it look like for you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? What does that look like for you? Are you actively working out your salvation? Are you doing the things, are you doing the the acts, the, the things that are required to maintain that connection with the Father. This goes to what, what is your prayer life like? Are you daily seeking him in prayer? Are you daily looking into your word? I'll give, I'm going I'm to keep talking, but you guys feel free to go on and, and write this down. Or maybe you, you're not a, a, a note taker. You just want to think about these things. Um, maybe maybe it would be better for you to take this home and, and give it a little time tonight. But what does it look like? What, is, what, are your, what are your spiritual roots look like? The next issue is the trunk. And we, and we were thinking about the trunk. We say that, that the trunk is connected to your um, relationship with other believers. The trunk grows up out of the roots of, of salvation, and it, it is what holds us together. First Peter chapter 3 says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desire, desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. See, again, when Peter, notice when, when Peter's talking about living a life that is good versus a life that is evil, he connects it first into how you have unity with the body of Christ, how it is that you relate to other Christians. And then he very quickly moves in that relationship that we have to other Christians into what is your tongue doing? What are your words saying? And so have you ever... Have you ever had somebody who says, well, that's not, that's not how I meant it? 
Like they say something, that's not how I meant it. This past week there was a big stink on ESPN that a, one of their commentators said something really, really derogatory towards women who are victims of abuse. And, and then he tried to go back and say, well, that's not how I meant it. And then he tried to rephrase how he meant it, and it came out just the same. And then he tried to come back later on Twitter, which was the worst place to try to explain yourself because you're limited to, like, I don't know, 40 letters or something. And, and he tried to explain it again. And this time it was even worse. Like, this guy could not get out of the mess he had made. Sometimes people say things like, well, that's not how I meant it. Well, that's what you said. And our words are a clear, the clearest indication we can give as to the state of our heart. And so... What are the words that we use around each other? If an observer, this is the question we ask, what would an observer conclude about me from my relationship to other believers? From the way that I talk to other believers, what would they say about my relationship? What would they say about my, my feelings towards people in my church? What would they say about me? What, is my, what would an observer see? The next thing that we looked at was were the branches. And we said that the branches are, are our sort of our connection to the lost. Our branches are what reaches out and makes, may, oftentimes in a forest, branches will rub against each other. They'll make connection to, to other branches. And so in what ways do my relationships with the lost reflect Jesus? Matthew chapter 3 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So the question isn't just how do we treat our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but how do we treat the lost? In what ways are, are we dealing with lost people and are the ways that we are reaching out to lost people a reflection of the love of Jesus are we reaching lost people in the way that Jesus did sometimes what what we'll see is that as we try to engage the lost that the lost do a lot better job of engaging us than we do of them that as we're having conversations or as we're trying to move a relationship to discussion of spiritual things that a lot of times the a lost person's issues will have impact on us, that we'll pick up their habits, that we'll pick up their um, you know, issues instead of us you know, rubbing off on them. It's sort of like you know, using that analogy again of, of trees, that a disease can move from one tree to another tree by the branches rubbing against each other, and sometimes um, it's good for branches to fall off of a tree. Sometimes we may make connection to, to people, and if it's not working, that we're having an influence on them, that they're having too much of an influence on us, sometimes those branches need to die. Sometimes the branches need to fall off. So the question is, in fact, we even see that in Jesus' life, that there were times that, that people in his culture tried to engage with him, and he recognized very quickly what they were trying to do. And so he ended things pretty quickly. He'd ask them some questions. They wouldn't be able to answer them, and he'd say, you know, you're not going to come to repentance. Your heart is, is wicked. You're, you're grieving the Holy Spirit, and he would walk away. He gave the disciples the same encouragement, that if anyone doesn't greet you, doesn't welcome you, knock the dust off of your shoes and leave. So what are the ways that we're engaging lost culture? The next thing that we looked at were, were the leaves. And we found there's this passage in um, Isaiah chapter 44, verse 23, 
that we thought was beautiful. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. It creates this idea of this mountain covered in trees and that as, as the wind moves, that they, they move in response to the glory of God. And so we thought that's, that's us in worship. That's, a, that's, that's our, our worship, that we move in response to, you know, to God's glory. That through, through the leaves, the tree is nourished, and through worship, our souls are nourished. So the question is, what is, what is your personal worship like? Now, our corporate worship, I think it's getting better and better. We are very pleased with Riley. If he would you know, stop messing me up, then it would you know, be better. But no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're really pleased to have Riley with us. And, and not only that, but we are learning uh, what songs resonate with you. And you all have been faithful to, to try and learn new songs, and that's exciting. Um, and part of the reason we want to do that is we want you to be able to turn on a Christian radio station in your car by yourself and to be able to have a time of worship as you drive down the road. I would love it if I drove, pulled up next to you and looked over and, you know, I would love to just look over and see Mackie just belting out, singing all by himself and, you know, and, and knowing him, he probably wouldn't even be ashamed by it. He'd probably just keep right on singing if he saw people notice it, right? That, that's, our, that's what we want. We want to have a personal time of worship daily. And so we want to use our corporate worship to make your personal worship more fulfilling. We want to use your personal worship. So what does your personal worship look like? Lastly, we asked about the fruit, and the question that we asked in this is, what are my actions and example producing, or are they producing goodness in others? Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, that this is what we're supposed to be. I don't know if you've noticed, but if, if you spend time around someone that complains all the time, you start to complain, right? It just happens. Right? If, you're, if you're around somebody and they're, just, and they're always like, oh, my back, oh, my, and then you'll very quickly, oh, my back, right? It's, it's an easy sort of trap to fall into. And so we have to be careful that, that as we relate to people, as we, as we talk, that we want our example to spur one another on to good things, that we want to use our words to be encouraging, to be uplifting. And so, I mean, granted, if, if you have issues, if you have problems, share those things and you know, bear one another's burdens but there's a time and a place for that that's not complaining all the time. So the question is, is that are you, are you bringing about goodness in other people? Now, this is a personal assessment. And, and you know, I, could, I think we would probably do a really good job of getting a view of our own hearts if I were to say, take this paper and hand it to your spouse. If I were to say, hand this paper to your spouse and let them do an assessment of your heart, um, then probably the pens would come out you know, and just really maybe, maybe go, be able to go to town on some of these things if our spouses filled them out. Um, but we wanted to look at these things for ourselves first. But understand, there is a, a time and there is a, a way in which we have to do this for our spouses, for our children, for our parents. The passage that we started with this morning was Luke chapter, chapter 6, uh, starting at verse 43, 43-45. And I want to finish this morning. I want to look at the passage that comes immediately before that. I want us to get a little bit of context to that. And the passage that we're going to look at, in fact, if you look in your Bible, like, like in my Bible, there's, there are these little headings, right? Do y'all, y'all do this? So you have the scripture and then there'll be like a, a bold print 
heading and then some more some more verses and then another bold print heading and more verses. Those, those bold print headings were added by people and every Bible has a little bit different bold print headings. But it's easy for me to look at these bold print headings and to forget that Jesus didn't say these bold print headings. Right? That Jesus didn't put these, like Jesus wasn't giving the, the, you know, this sermon and say, now I'm going to talk about judging others. Write that down. Right, he, he didn't do that. He didn't give us the headings. What he did is he preached. And the way he preached is so that one thing connects to the next thing, connects to the next thing, connects to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. And so that all of these things, one thing, depending on where something is, we have to see that it's connected to the thing that's before it and the thing that's after it. So I want us to look at the passage that was immediately before this passage on goodness. Luke chapter 6, verse 39 says, He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see, see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, usually when we look at this passage, we look at the verses that come right before it. What are the verses that come right before it? Judge not, lest ye be judged. And so we read, judge not, lest ye be judged. And then we hear this parable, and we assume that that means don't judge anybody. We assume that means that because we have a log in our eye or we have something in our eye, that we can never do anything to help out our brother with the speck that's in his eye. Except that right after this, Jesus says, a good tree produces good fruit. He says, a good tree produces good fruit. And, and you need to produce good fruit. And so what we should see, if, if you look at this passage in the context of what's before it, then we say, well, this passage is all about not judging other people. And, and a lot of times people will use this. If you try to make, sometimes if you try to make a, a suggestion to somebody, say, hey, listen, you know, Michael, the way you've been doing X, Y, and Z, man, it, it alarms me, you know. I, I love you. I'm concerned about you. I think that you need to stop doing X, Y, and Z. Now, Michael could take this one of two ways. He could say, thank you. I appreciate that you're looking out for me. Or he could say, whoa, 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 whoa. I've got a speck in my eye. You've got a log in your eye. Don't talk to me about it. Right? It could go either way. So if part of it is the approach, right, that we need to first deal with our own goodness. But at a certain point, we need brothers and sisters. We need husbands. We need wives. We need children. We need parents to say, hey, listen, I'm concerned about you. I love you too much to let this go on. I love you too much to let you suffer with this. Because you and I, we all have blind spots. We all have things that we're missing. And part of the reason that we have, have a body together, that we're supposed to have unity, is so that we can push one another forward. So we can move one another into good works. And part of that is dealing with our own goodness. That, that guy, that, that Christian who's a member of you know, that other church, who you'd say, yeah, he's righteous, but he's not very good. He needs somebody to say, hey, man, you're righteous, but you're kind of a scoundrel. I love you. You're my brother. But sometimes I can't stand you. And, and we need to deal with this. He needs that in his life. Just as you need it and I need it. The other day, um, 
I was coming up uh, to the church. We were, uh, we were doing some work here at the church, and a lot of times I'll bring my kids to church while I'm doing different things, and you know, they'll hang out in the nursery and make a horrible, horrible mess. Um, but some, a lot of times I'll bring them up here and let them just play or play on the playground or, you know, whatever. But on this one particular day, I was going to be working. I was going to be up here for like 12, 13 hours. And Brinley woke up as, I'm, as I was leaving because apparently I don't leave as silently as I think I do. And so she, she comes running down the stairs in her, you know, in her nightgown, all bleary-eyed from sleeping. And she says, Dad, I want to go with you. And I said, you don't know where I'm going. And she says, you're going to the church, aren't you? And I'm like, Ugh, yes, I am going to the church. You're very intelligent, right? I, I am going to the church, but I'm going to be there a long time. You can't go with me. You can't go with me. You've got to stay here. I've got to, and then I made a mistake. I said, I've got to leave you here. And she said, you're leaving me? <laughs> and she went from wanting to go with me to just fury like that. She said, you're leaving me? And I said, yes, sweetie, I'm leaving you. And she said, then you're breaking your promise, and that makes you a liar. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to be late. And I got down on my knees and said, sweetie, what, what's going on? Why, why are you saying that I'm breaking my promise and that I'm a liar? Like, when you say those things to dad, it, it hurts. Why are you saying that? And she explained to me that I sing a lullaby to her at night sometimes, and one of the lines says, I promise I will never leave you. Now, of course, when the lullaby says that, it means I'll never leave you, like, permanently. Like, I'll never go to the church and just never come back. Like, it's like, I'll never leave you in a permanent way. Not, I'm never going to leave you with your mom for the afternoon, right? But in her mind, she's like, no, that means you're never going to leave me when I don't want to be left. And so we, we sat down and we explained it. And the thing is, is that, you know, eventually she did let me go. And I promised that I'd, I'd come home for lunch and see her then and, you know, made some sort of conditions of my, my leaving her. But I was proud of her. Even though I was a little disturbed at her calling me a liar, um, I was proud that she understood well enough that when, when I give my word on something, she needs to hold me to it. You need somebody in your life who's gonna, who can look you in the face and say, you're a liar. You're a liar. You haven't kept your promise. We need people in our lives to say, you went through those baptismal waters and you said that you were taking on a new life. But all I see right here is that old life. You said that you were going to be a new creation, but all I see is the old evil. I know that you're righteous because your righteousness isn't upon you, it's upon Jesus' shoulders, but you're not being very good. We need people who are like that in our lives. If we're ever going to come close to the goodness of God. If we're ever going to come close to the goodness that Jesus shows, then we've got to have people who are holding us accountable. So my encouragement to you is that you would take home this assessment and that you would spend some time for yourself, but that you would also lovingly, lovingly, take some time and help. In fact, do it this way. Ask your spouse, where are my blind spots? What am I not seeing? When it comes to, to the root, to my spiritual discipline, what am I not seeing? When it comes to my relationship with other believers, what am I missing? What am I missing in the way I relate to the lost? What do my fruit say to you? What do, ask those questions. Don't, don't make your spouse come up to you and say, oh, yeah, by the way, I've got this checklist. Let's start. Right? Instead, ask them, look at me. Look at my life. Examine my spiritual condition. Look deeply into my heart. 
and tell me what I don't see. Thank you for listening to Pathlight. I hope that this message has been a blessing to you and that you will be a blessing to others.